Bringing us into the old time religion of Moses here. <laughs> we had go down Moses, and then we had old time religion going at the same time here, or not at the same time. Do you, do you know the, the next verse? No. Can I put the next verse real quick? Yeah, go for it. Just go real, for it. Real, real quick. Oh, I, I thought I thought that I thought the next one was going to be it was, it was good, good for our fathers. No good enough for Moses. Oh, good. That's that's one of them. There is a line in there where yeah, he says it's that. Good, right? enough it's good enough for Moses. It's, it's good, good enough, enough for, for me. me. Actually, good enough for Moses doesn't quite sound like the right thing to say yeah, with, no. compared to what Nissa has to say. Yeah, that's right? Right. Um, enough is not right. In, in fact, there's there's this great footnote back here. Well, we'll just start with the footnote. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of great Greek back here, by the way, yeah, Jager. Right. If you haven't been looking at your end notes. I've been every now and then taking that. I, I have to look at my end notes because I haven't been looking at my Greek. Yeah, which is <laughs> a big problem. But today, today is my turnaround day for Greek. But yeah. um, on footnote one ninety eight, uh, I found this to be interesting. Um, it's right after he talks about. I mean, this is kind of getting all the way to the end of the text already. The really, really good stuff at the end. Um, his 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 comment on um, page ninety five, Gregory's comment. Um, where he says, um, and this is just, I mean, I've never thought of this passage of Scripture this way, but I think it's just fascinating. Uh, John the Sublime, of course, that's John the Evangelist, Mm -hmm. penetrated into the luminous darkness, says no one has ever seen God, thus asserting that knowledge of the divine essence is unattainable not only by men, but also by every intelligent creature. So... Uh, the commentary at one point says uh, Chrysostom specifically states angels is not knowing God's, na- God's nature, which is obvious. I mean, it's got to be true, right? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on what you mean by knowing, of course. Um, but this passage, no one has ever seen God. Um, normally, you think of it as because no, only those who have died can see God. But the way that Gregory takes it is, no, 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 it's, 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 it's comprehensive. No one, no creature has ever either after death or before death, seeing God in the sense of seeing that we normally think of seeing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but anyway, this, it's, it's, it's that phrase, luminous darkness, which is paradoxical. Um, what what, um, what our, our commentators, I, I keep, I've got to give them credit. I keep, keep forgetting their names. Eberly, uh, no, Malherbe and Ferguson. Um, he used, or they refer to it as the use of oxymoron. Um, and uh, they actually point out a bunch of other places that he does it. So if you look at page 178 at the top, um, which is, which is and note 198, um, he talks about how Gregory delights in these paradoxes. Sober inebriation, watchful sleep, passionless love wise folly, stationary movement, and maybe best of all, oh, no. living death. Um, and then he gives all the all the different places where that is. And a lot of those is actually in um, commentary on this, 
Song of Songs. So um, I think we're gonna we're gonna see some of this stuff happening later. I I have to make this comment. Yeah. In the Phaedo, Plato. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, uh, <laughs> talks about uh, the um, the philosophers. You, they in some sense they shouldn't they shouldn't be afraid to die because they're already like living living out their death. They're like walking dead. I think is the phrase he uses. And his point is being. That um, they're dead to sort of like pleasures of the world. Yeah, or? yeah. So they, the people that look at them, they see no no recognizable worldly life. Yeah. in them. And this is why uh, this this great comment by Gregory. This, and this goes this goes back to an earlier one. I don't think we brought it out. And I'm probably not going to find it. But it it was so fascinating to me about the virtuous man. Um. And how the virtuous man is is seen as, as like worthless to the world. Do you remember this? Say that one more time. The, the, Here it is. The Page 57. <coughs> Paragraph 9, right at the top there. Um, it's where he starts talking about education. This is this is when we were talking about free will. Or, or we were talking about um, the midwife. Oh, um, right, right. And, and, and pagan learning. Um but he says, experience teaches us that the restless and heaving motion of life thrusts from itself those who do not totally submerge themselves in the deceits of human affairs. And it reckons as a useless burden those whose virtue is annoying. That's fascinating, <laughs> right? I, that makes me actually think of the, the gadfly passage of yeah. Socrates, yeah. right? His virtue is annoying. So in some sense, maybe it's not... They're a useless burden, but but maybe more important is that they're a burden, and and and, and that's the. So so when the, the the one who philosophizes is walking around in this world, and is living the, the virtuous life, they are, first of all, they're seen as what a waste of time, right? But they're also seen as annoying because their their very being is a judgment, on the world. Yeah. So I think that this is, um, I mean, I think that that, well, how did I get into that? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, because. <laughs> That's good, though. <laughs> it is good. But, but I, I, think, I think it's important that, uh, you know, we, we recognize that, and, and, and this is something that's always in the background of my own, my own spiritual thinking, right? And, and he, he brings this out again at one point where he talks about, and let's just go there, actually. Um, so he talks about the difficulty of of the uh, virtuous life, um, and that this is on page eighty six actually. So um, it's the passage in Moses where Moses finds the water, but the water is very bitter, and then mm-hmm. he, he's told to throw the wood into the water, and then the the wood somehow sweetens the water so that people can drink it. Um, but paragraph one, 132 is something that really sort of struck me because I think about this constantly. And, and I think it's probably a sign of my own lack of advancing in, this, in, the, in, in, the, you know, in the life, the climb towards God, the climb up the mountain. But let me read a little bit of this, 132, or paragraph 132, page 86. The history agrees with what now happens. For to the one who has left behind the Egyptian pleasures, which he served before crossing the sea, life removed from these 
pleasures seems at first difficult and disagreeable. But if the wood be thrown into the water, that is, if one receives the mystery of the resurrection, here we're talking about Christ, right, which had its beginning with the wood, you of course understand the cross when you hear wood, then the virtuous life being sweetened by the hope of things to come becomes sweeter and more pleasant than all sweetness that tickles the senses with pleasure. Mm. I mean, that is, um, I feel like lots of times when we read passages like that, which, which we find all over the place in, in, in ascetical theology, all over the place in the fathers, um, we think that this is just nice, pious talk, but nobody really means it, right? Mm. Everybody knows that, that living the virtuous life just, uh, as, as my roommate in college referred to it as, we all live under the curse of Christianity. <laughs> and he would watch the debauchers and the leches all around on campus and thinking to himself, I can't do things like that because of the curse of Christianity. Because he, because, because he and, 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 I, and I agreed with him at the time, thought that the sweet life was, was, the, the, was the pleasurable one. Was that was the passionate one, passionate in the sense that Gregory uses it, right? right. Um, but Gregory here is saying no; it's only disagreeable and difficult at first, right? And this totally agrees with people like Teresa of Avila, who said, yeah. who said things like, you know, I thought that 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 the life of Christianity and uh, embracing the cross was going to be horrific, but it was, but only the first cross was really bad; everything else was joy, um, and and I've. I think the fact that I have to read this over again and say to myself, do I really think this is true, is is what Gregory is trying to challenge the pleasure seekers, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I have to ask myself, how much am I still a pleasure seeker? And therefore, I'm blind yeah. to this, right? Yeah. And I, I mean, it's interesting. The he's not He's not saying deny the pleasures... I mean, th this is this is I haven't given this that much thought until right now. He's not saying deny the pleasures, period. Uh, because what he says is there's actually a sweeter, more pleasant right. object of pursuit. Yeah. Right, and that is not to be denied as pleasurable, but actually to be pursued in its pleasantness. Right. Uh, and and I think. What? Yeah, because it's sweeter and more pleasant than that which tickles the senses. Right, right. Um, so it's, this is this is a very strange, somewhat strange thing to say uh, in light of his aesthetical remarks throughout most of the things we've read this semester. Um, it seems that he is is not simply saying throw throw out the the. the I don't want to say the bodily life because I think what he's trying to like transcend to a, a higher type of pleasure, which uh -huh. is uh -huh. only analogous to the pleasures of the body. But I think we, at least a lot of, a lot of us have, have done this. Um, you, you, you recognize, oh, I can spend the next hour watching Scooby-Doo <laughs> or I can, um, read Nyssa yeah. and you think you think well some of you uh, we've, we've all been in, in your seat don't worry it's okay um, we can all grow but we've chosen the Scooby-Doo because it's just more enjoyable but there are some of you um, that 
actually in your heart of hearts would say, no, I think reading Gregory Nessa is more enjoyable right. than watching Scooby-Doo right. season 54. <laughs> Uh, right. The Return of Daphne. Right. So, <laughs> the Return of Daphne as the Cookie Monster. But I think I think that that experience is an indication, sort of a, a little foretaste of what's going on. That you you actually, at the beginning of of the life of education, you become. Um, it becomes absurd to you. How could anyone ever want to read a book or learn Greek or X, Y, and Z, right? Fill in whatever sort of intellectual pursuit you're, you're engaged in. And then all of a sudden, at some point, you realize, no, this is actually not just good, but pleasant. This right. is, it's this not is, just good that I have to grit my teeth and bear through. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, shoot, I wish I could just snap my fingers and all of a sudden have everything that I need to know be known. Because in some in some ways, the pursuit of this is the end of the activity right. itself. Right? right? It's the learning of the language. Dr. Shikavich and I and Brother Angelus um, and Daniel Musso are learning <laughs> Greek together. And, and, and it would be a very deficient experience. And as it is right now, not being able to, to learn it. With other people, right. in this, in this, which which actually is is the reason I'm behind. Yeah, yeah, because we have not been meeting, right. right? And and I think that experience of the pleasantness of learning declensions, yeah, um, <laughs> would be something that is completely foreign to a lot of people. Yeah, uh, and I think something analogous to that is going on with. Um, Anissa with the sacrifice of lower pleasures for higher pleasures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I, and, and, but the, the key here is, right, you, you can't actually have the higher pleasures unless you sacrifice the lower pleasures. Right. Right. So, so. And then they cease to be pleasures then, right? So it's not yeah. like, oh, you're, I mean, what's weird is you, you, you cast them to the flames. Yeah. You're, you're kind of disgusted by them, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and that's, um, this is what this, this whole section is all about, right? This, this is sent to God. Which happens by this putting behind of the things. So l let me make three three points that all came to my mind as you were talking. Okay. okay. Number one, who would choose Nissa over Scooby Doo? Who's the first person that came to my mind? You, you want to guess? <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of that remark you made before we hit play or hit record. The, the two the two TV characters, but <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. no, not that one. Okay, no. This guy we live with, and 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 uh, work with, and he's right down the hall from us. Who would be the first person to pick up Nissa and 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 be disgusted oh, by Scooby Doo? Ed Matrowski, right? Ed, Ed Matrowski is living this life, right? Yeah. In many ways. I mean, I think in some ways he wouldn't know that Scooby Doo existed. And, and if and if it was pointed out to him, he would wonder what would be the draw of anything of that yeah. nature. Yeah, why? Why would someone? <laughs> Why would someone spend time drawing Scooby-Doo cartoons? Yeah. Like, what, what's the point, right? Yeah. So, so I, I think we, we you know, and, and Gregory's big on this, right? And, and, and even in this section, gosh, it's all over. The, as we talk, I'm thinking of all these sections now, but I have no idea where they are in here, yeah. where he says specifically, you have to find a person who is doing this, right? And you have to follow that person. Mm -hmm. and, and so in many ways, I think Ed Maturowski is, he's a living um, 
a living teacher that we, we should be following, right? So that's the first point. Mm. Second point, um, this idea of, of, of pleasures becoming sweeter with, in combination with sort of asceticism sounds to me like also Epicurus, who mm. you've told me about, Ooh, who yeah. I have not read. Um, oh, but but, I, but I've been struck by this that you told me a long time ago that, that sort of our, our use of the adjective Epicurean yeah. is an idea that you just plunge yourself into bodily pleasures full force, right? Mm-hmm. Bring, it, bring them on. Whatever's, whatever, whatever tickles my fancy, um, bring it on, right? right? But Epicurus was disgusted by people like that. Yeah. And he said the only way to truly enjoy a piece of pizza is to not eat a piece of pizza for like two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. maybe not eat a lot of things for yeah. like two and, weeks. And he and it's it's somewhat ambiguous, uh, at least in, in the I mean, certainly no Epicurean scholar, uh, but it's somewhat ambiguous in some of the stuff that I've read of his um, about whether or not the truly the person living the truly pleasurable life would even want to eat the pizza uh-huh. out of the recognition that pizzas are a sort of good that one would take pleasure in beyond what was say at hand what was sort of what was there so the the idea of the um the the near occasion of sin is present in the pizza because then you're going to desire pizzas when all you have at hand stale bread interesting so if you eat a piece of pizza what might actually happen is you might spend the rest of your time you know wishing you didn't wishing, have stale bread wishing you didn't have stale bread <laughs> yeah. right interesting so so he so i so at least he says the prudent person is the person who foregoes those things at least in most situations Maybe all situations. I'm not. It's, this is what's sort of unclear. But mm-hmm. in most situations, you forego even the, the the high goods to you, out of this recognition of the effects that it could have on your uh, future. What it's going yeah. to do in regards to your perception, your quotidian future, yeah. your everyday future. Right. right. And so then you think that one time that I ate that pizza, that was it. Now look at me. I'm. Right. I'm, you're, you're, I'm eating stale bread yeah, every you're, day. You're wallowing in the yeah in the stale bread store. Shoot, man, that's something really. To, that's so, that's something. So then, more the, to so then the truly pleasurable person is the the pleasant person. The person living the pleasant life is the person who just is is willing to just embrace what what nature provides. He yeah. says that sounds very water. Niche-y. Yeah, yeah, water and uh, stale. Bread. Maybe some locust every now and then. <laughs> really? <laughs> wow. He and John the Baptist would have been yeah. buds. So, so that's it. Uh, yeah. So, so, so there as as um, uh, Seneca, who was a Stoic, which was the opposite um, philosophical camp. Uh, they were like complete opposite ends of the spectrum. The one said the highest good is pleasure. The other, the Stoic, said the highest good is virtue is, is sort of the life of, mm-hmm. of, of virtue life of reason and uh, Seneca says that the Epicureans the true Epicureans there's too many posers out there that's the problem the true Epicureans <laughs> the problem. <laughs> um, if, if the posers realized and weren't hiding behind the name of Epicurus they would realize just how quote 
pleasurable the life of Epicurus was, that they probably wouldn't be Epicureans. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yeah. So, okay. they, so he's trying to do a ressourcement on Epicurus <laughs> as a Stoic. I mean, it's 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 really postmodern. <laughs> I gotta read both of those yeah. guys, man. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's actually a beautiful example of intellectual honesty. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which which uh, you know goes back to the to the Richean comment: um, yeah. "All is ours. All, All is yeah. ours. Yeah. Nothing is even out of the my Epicureans. Realm. Yeah, even even for that matter, um, the um, oh gosh, Scooby Doo." I wasn't thinking Scooby-Doo. I was thinking of the guy, uh, Eunomian. Even the Eunomian is ours, where he's right. But last point here, third point. Um, This gets us to another point that Nissa brings up uh, throughout this text so far, but we haven't really talked about it. Uh, But uh, he brings up a couple times here is the sameness, right? How, How you can experience the same thing. As another person, right? The same object yeah. as another person, but it'd be totally different, right? And and I think that this point about Epicurus and his and, yeah. and stale bread is really important, right? So the guy who eats pizza and then get is given stale bread the next day is unhappy right. and does and and doesn't really taste the stale bread, but instead right. tastes the lack of pizza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or doesn't taste the lack of pizza. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Only tastes the stale bread as a lack of pizza, yeah, right? right yeah. Um, and and so uh, he's 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 sad, depressed, and disappointed. Whereas the Epicurean, the true Epicurean, mm-hmm. right, is the one who tastes the stale bread for the good that it is. Right. Um, he says similar things in here, right? So, for example, on page eighty-seven, when he's talking about the rock, right? The rock that Moses hits to bring out the water, right? And 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 if, and you know this. You probably know the famous story where he hits it twice, right? And then he gets in trouble right? because he didn't yeah. trust God. Yeah. But that was – I mean one of the reasons he got in trouble was because he had already hit rocks and turned them into water. All right? yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is not the only rock water situation that yeah. happened in, in these 40 years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the situation that's happening that, that he's talking about here when, when he hits the rock and the water comes forth in the, in the oasis um, – or maybe it's after the oasis. I think it's in the oasis. But he says um, – he says, it's the same rock to everyone, right? But to those who have been refreshed, it's capable. they are capable of receiving God, he says. For the rock, as the apostle says, is Christ, who is, moist, who is moistureless and resistant to unbelievers. Yeah. But if one should employ the rod of faith, he becomes drink to those who are thirsty and flows into those who receive him. For he says, I and my father shall come to him and make our home with him. So there's this very interesting thing where even, you know, uh, and maybe this, this, this kind of gets into the realm of, of, of sort of evangelization and, 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 the, and the postmodern world that we live in. And you look around and you see all these people and they just shun Christ as been there, done that kind of thing. Who, who would actually follow that? That's, that's such, a, such a worthless way to live, right? They're so, they're, they're, you're missing out on life. Um, but of course they would say that because he looks like just a rock to them, moistureless and resistant to unbelievers. But the one who has the rod of faith sees Christ as the, as the, as the one who satiates the thirst, right? The yeah. one who quenches the thirst. But it's the same rock, right? And, it, yeah. and, and this happens all over the place where it's the same thing that's being encountered, but being encountered by the virtuous one, the one who philosophizes in the virtuous life, right. is something different is seen than the other person, right? I think he makes the, the comparison with, with the Egyptians in the water and, and yeah. Israelites in the water, right? Right. Um, right. 
And so the the principle are similar. I mean, it, it's along these lines on page 82, paragraph mm -hmm. 119. This comes up again a little later. <coughs> Actually, where, where you were referencing with the rock. Um, one, yeah, paragraph 119. Then occurred the manifestation of the divine nature, which manifests itself in the way that one is capable of receiving. Mm -hmm. So, so interesting that what he's, I think two, two aspects of that are interesting. That God is going to have to, not have to, but if he's going to manifest himself, it will be according to the mode of the receiver. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, there's, there's no sense in revealing oneself if it's not according to how one can receive the revelation of it. Right? And then second, that means the receiver has to be in the proper mode of reception in order to receive that revelation. Right. Right. So, so you don't, you don't come to, you're not going to be capable of understanding geometry if you live a life of Scooby-Doo. Right. Uh, right. right. The, the mode of reception of geometry is not via Cartoon Network. <laughs> Shaggy doesn't teach you about right triangles. No, no, you're not going to get, you're not going to get how to, how to prove the uh, Pythagorean theorem from Shaggy. Although Velma, maybe. <laughs> Okay. Wow, Sorry. this analogy is really, really taking on a life of its own. Sorry about that. <laughs> but I, I think, I think the, the the receiver, so which which just highlights this incredibly interesting reality that um, revelation is dialogical. It's it's mm -hmm. something that occurs both from the standpoint of the giver, right, the revealer, God, and from the receiver. Otherwise, there would be no revelation if there wasn't a reception of it. Now, that doesn't yeah. mean everyone has to receive the revelation, but that there's some active role that we play in th the revelation of God being brought to its its end, its, its perfection. Yeah, I, I wonder how much we're, we, we miss out on, on the idea of receptivity when we have this... Uh, when we live in this sort of very uniform, mechanized, post-industrial world where everything comes out the same, um, you know, from the conveyor belt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we think of, of human persons in the same way. Yeah. And therefore we think if God reveals himself, then everybody can now know him. Right. But this is not how, how – I was going to say Moses, but probably Moses. Yeah. But also Gregory, yeah. you know, yeah. sees this, yeah. which, which it, is why this whole point of like the, the – this path before you can actually go up the mountain and why Moses is the only one who can go up the mountain yeah. makes sense. Right? And so think about the perfect example of the reception of the revelation, which only occurred by the great fiat. Um, so, so, I mean, Mary is mm -hmm. the example of how revelation is made Incarnate. I mean, yeah. how, how, how revelation occurs, and it's it's only by way of of a of a perfect receptivity, right? And like preparation, and therefore perfect receptivity of of it, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, and Gregory talks he, he he talks about this. Um, I have a couple places that I'm thinking of now, um, but if I can find the one where he says, yeah. Um, 159, paragraph 159, page 93 at the bottom. <clears throat> he talks about the trumpet blast and how it gets louder as you move up the mountain. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. 
And then he takes this and, and, and turns it into a, 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 the spiritual interpretation of basically the history of the world, uh-huh. and specifically Israel, where he says, The law and the prophets trumpeted the divine mystery of the incarnation, but the first sounds were too weak to strike the disobedient ear. Right? So, so it's specifically, no, it's not just that they were too weak for people to hear. It was too weak for the disobedient ear. So the, receptiv- the yeah, receptive right, side right. wasn't able to receive them. Therefore, the Jews' deaf ears <coughs> did not receive the sound of the trumpets. As the trumpets came closer, according to the text, they became louder. The last sounds which came through, which, which came through the preaching of the Gospels struck their ears, since the Spirit, through his instruments, sounds a, a noise more loudly ringing and makes a sound more vibrant in each succeeding spokesman. And the instruments, th- these instruments are the prophets and the apostles. It, but it's interesting to think, before they were apostles, um, they were the deaf Jews, right? I mean, yeah. the apostles were all Jews. Yeah. So yeah. The, they were the deaf Jews. It was only when it became louder that they were able to hear. I mean, sometimes I think we sort of, um, you know, we think of the apostles as being just these awesome dudes, right? Yeah. Uh, which is the opposite of what I was saying. Like, we think of them as bumbling idiots sometimes yeah. and yeah. then awesome dudes other yeah. times. Yeah. Um, but I think here, Gregory's kind of pointing out, like, these guys were deaf until he came. And even when he came, they were deaf, right? Going back to this idea that they didn't understand what he was saying until the resurrection happens, right? right. Because there right. has to be, there has to be, using Christ's own term, there has to be good soil that is prepared for the reception of the word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so two pages before that, on page 92, is where he kind of gets into the fact that not everybody can just enter in and see God, enter into the darkness and see God. Um, this, this whole paragraph, 153, is really interesting. Let me read some of it. He says, It would be better next, in keeping with the order of the history, to harmonize what is perceived in, with the spiritual sense. Whoever looks to Moses in the cloud, both of whom are guides to those who progress in virtue, Moses in this place would be the legal precepts in the cloud which leads the proper understanding of the law, who has been purified by the crossing of the water, who has put the foreigner to death and separated himself from the foreigner, who has tasted the waters of Mara, that is, the life removed far from pleasure. By the way, that I'm, I'm now thinking Mara is the same as root as Mary, right? Which means bitterness. Mm. Um, which, although appearing bitter and unpleasant at first to those tasting it, offers a sweet sensation to those accepting the wood, who has then delighted in the beauties of the palm trees and springs, which were those who preached the gospel and who were filled with living water, which is the rock, who received the heavenly bread, who has played the man against the foreigners, and for whom the outstretched hands of the log river became the cause of victory, foreshadowing the mystery of the cross, he it is who then advances to the contemplation of, of the transcendent nature. But it's only after all this has happened in the history of Israel, and, 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 and as we've been talking about in this, right, in the history of your own life, right, um, which, which, is, which is embedded within this history of the people, the, the one Adam, right? Um, only when this happens are you able to advance to the contemplation of the transcendent nature. It's the person who has b- become pure in all things, as he says. Um, on the next page, he talks about the irrational animals being left behind and kept away from the mountain. Mm-hmm. Right? Only when all of this stuff happens can someone actually see God. Right, and but then you know, of course, what does it mean to see God? <laughs> yeah, is is and 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 here's where we get really, I think, into the heart of. Darkness. The dark, the heart, <laughs> the heart of darkness. Of darkness. There we go. Heart of, Joseph Conrad, by the way, was Polish. If you didn't know. <laughs>
Hmm. I have to pull up, point out my polls. Here's a here's a, a question. This is, a, this is right after where you where you read them, paragraph one sixty, page ninety four. Yeah. Uh, and this was something that was somewhat in the back of my mind. I didn't think it was that important, but now I'm, I'm starting to wonder how significant this is. So, mm-hmm. 160. The multitude, is that the... Uh, Israelites. The Pesante? Or no, uh, Pesante. Uh, no, 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 it's... Pa, uh, pa, pan, pan, no, it's, it starts with an A. Aklas. Aklas, the multitude. Aklas. Yeah, that's right, Aklas. The multitude was not capable of hearing the voice from above, but relied on Moses to learn by himself the secrets and to teach the people whatever doctrine he might learn through instruction from above. This is also true of the arrangement in the church. Not all thrust themselves toward the apprehension of the mysteries, but choosing from among themselves someone who is able to hear things divine. They give ear gratefully to him considering trustworthy whatever they might hear from someone initiated into the divine mysteries. Mm-hmm. So so here you have this, this fascinating reality of the, the church that not all are... Um, not all are po- apostles, not, nor are all prophets. Yeah. <laughs> As he says it right in the next right, line. Right. And, and so, so you have this... Not all are going to climb the mountain, mm-hmm. and and you don't need the cli- and the quote unquote need to climb the mountain to be um, to flourish in, mm-hmm. in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Uh, to flourish as as a non a prophet or a non apostle, mm-hmm. um, and and I I think this this is for me kind of difficult to wrap my head around in light of what I what I take this life of Moses to be an allegory of and in some sense in light of the baptismal what are they what there's the technical term in virtue of being baptized all become priest prophet and king uh-huh. whatever the that three is. yeah, yeah. Uh, that how how is it that that through baptism all aren't all mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and I, I don't I don't know it it, it it looks like what he's saying is you have the multitude kind of through their weakness and the recognition of their weakness um, are, I don't know if you want to say permitted, but they're, they're kind of ordained not to be ordained. <laughs> they're, they're ordained not to be yeah, yeah. seers. But they, but, they, but they can, in a sense, climb the mountain they, they on can. the backs of the seers, they they can, but but I think that but that's what is it to to not what is it to know God as unknown when the only way to know that is through the reports of others, which which I, I don't, don't get me wrong, there's nothing that's not mm-hmm. like a bad thing, but that's not. I don't think that means you're climbing the mountain. Yeah, I mean you're still at the foot of the mountain but, because Moses comes down. He doesn't. But, so, guy, okay, guys, coming up. <laughs> Yeah, no. Described it. No. <laughs> Actually, God described it, but <laughs> <laughs> described by not describing it. Uh, but I mean, maybe we need to go to 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 a Gregorian anthropology here, right? Of the one Adam. Like it's not like perhaps we're getting we're, we're too individualistic in our in our concern here. Mm-hmm. Maybe the fact that that not everybody climbs the mountain is not because 
not everybody's awesome, although that's kind of true. Um, but rather it's because the one atom is awesome. Yeah. That's what matters, right? Yeah. And, and maybe the, the, the sort of uh, solidarity of man, and, and he specifically talks about the church here, mm-hmm. which of course mm-hmm. is where the uh, super substance, yeah. as, as I think Ratzinger calls it, um, it becomes uh, ultimately itself, right? It, 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 it is the one thing that is um, in creation. And so I, I wonder if um, he doesn't seem to think that choosing someone to hear about divine things from is 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 a pathetic thing to do. No, no. In fact, he, he, he in the next paragraph, if, if, if you remember at the very bottom, right, he, he talks about, you know, those who try to climb it but aren't ready because yeah. their garments yeah. are soiled and, and, they, and their irrational animals are, are surrounding them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, he says – they, they're stoned by their own reasonings. Yeah. For heretical opinions are, in effect, stones which crush the inventor of evil doctrine. That's, that's killer. That's, that's, the, that's the exact same point he makes at the very beginning of Contra Eunomian. Really? The, the, um, Eunomius doesn't have to cut off his own head. Yeah. Like Goliath. Be- yeah, yeah. Or no, no. He, doesn't he doesn't have, have, to, have to cut He doesn't off. have to cut off the head of Eunomius because he already did it himself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is the he's, same. He's point, cut right? himself off. He's cut himself with, off because with, of with his, his own his own false reasons, right. right? And so Eunomius probably would have been better in just saying, "All right, Gregory, go up the mountain. All right, you go into the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> you tell me. You come down and tell me what happened." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so he thinks that this is. I, I think he thinks that it's it's actually foolish to try to climb the mountain when you're not ready. Um, right. So, so in some ways, the life of Moses, and this is, man, this is this is deep. <laughs> so the life of Moses cannot be separated from the life of the Israelites. So when right. you think about the life of Moses, you shouldn't think of it as, oh, this one guy's life. Yeah. But really what it is, is it's a guy's life, which only makes sense in light of the life of the Israelite people. It's a corporate life. It's a corporate life. Not in the, not in the post-industrial bourgeois, yeah, the bourgeois <laughs> understanding of it, right? Yeah. Corporate as in, as in one body, right. the body of Christ right. kind of way. Right. And so then... So then the way to think of the life of Moses is to think of really the life of the church, uh-huh. but, but specifically Moses as the, I mean, I think he's kind of all are Moses, all aren't Moses. Right. So, I mean, and he's saying, don't get, don't get too hung up on this. This is a point yeah, yeah. he made with like the Aaron. Yeah. He made, he's made a couple times at yeah. this point. Yeah. yeah. And, and so maybe, maybe that's, yeah, that's a way to, to, to to sort of save this is that what what's going on is the life of Moses is the life of the Israelite people, and that's probably what Moses himself would have yeah. said. Yeah, um, and, and and this is it seems to me this is an ancient understanding of just mm-hmm. human human personhood. Right. That that you are not. You, you know, I've I've heard people say it was it was with Saint Augustine that the, that the that the individual, individual. self consciousness was like born. Right. Um, his confessions is like the first sign of like reflection on just me as a as as a, as a single thing, um, and some people lament that, right? And right. some people celebrate that, right? right. And, and and I think maybe it's 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 a little of both, yeah. Um, yeah. because I think the ancient understanding of of personality is is completely wrapped up in community, um, and 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 this is going right into my into my seminar class where we've been talking about, you know, how does one have a true community amidst a pluralistic mm-hmm. sort of uh, reality of the fact that, you know, on our street, you know, there's you and me, yeah. 
there there's 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 two other families that I can think of that are that are that are pretty much on board at the same yeah. same place. Mm-hmm. And then there's like three families that I can think of that aren't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Um, and so so how do we have a true community on our block when we have such diversity of foundational first principles right. and therefore right. understandings right. of final ends. Right. Right. And, and, but I think in, in you know when you have a, an immobile society, and you have a a very familial, uh, ancestral we live together because we're all related in some way, um, society. Then you don't you don't have that kind of diversity in a bad sense, yeah. um, because you you have unity, right? unity with. Unity with true diversity can only happen when there is consubstantiality, not when there's – what's the difference between consubstantiality? Anti-substantiality? Mm-hmm. Multi-substantiality? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's th- that your point here, that, that, that the life of Moses is the life of Israel, is the life of the church, is the life of me, yeah. is all true. Right. And so when you think – yeah. And so you shouldn't think of – Moses going up to the, I mean, here you go. Moses doesn't ascend the mountain for his own sake. Mm-hmm. Right? He does his, his the act of ascending them, and actually he does it with the people initially. Originally, they go up, yeah, and then they realize they're like, we can't do this. this you stay me. up here. You stay up here for us, yeah. And so he stays up for them, yeah. So he, in a sense, his going into the cloud is his being for the others, and and was for the sake of his coming back down. Yes, right? yes. He only went into the cloud to come back right right for the sake of the people yeah yeah which is killer which is killer i mean that's i i didn't think of any of that stuff when i read it the first time which i didn't is, either which, which is why we learn in community i didn't think of that <laughs> stuff the first time i read it well let's talk a little bit about his entering into the cloud then um because this I mean, is not the the i cloud no 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 <laughs> Okay. And in fact, um, the fact that the iCloud merely holds information that is graspable and and let's let's say fileable, um, it's like the opposite of a cloud. Yeah, <laughs> we should call it the non-cloud. <laughs> I'm gonna put my files on the non-cloud. <laughs> but 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 so, going back to one fifty or paragraph one fifty three, page page ninety two. It's only the person that has been purified and prepared in this way that he can receive true contemplation right. of the transcendent nature. So if you go to the next page, 93, um, this is where um, I realize – is it here? No, it's not here. It's, it's coming up. It's, it's, it's in two pages. But it's, it's here that it begins where he starts to talk about what does it really mean to see God. And, and, you know, this language of Moses going into the cloud to see God, into the darkness. I mean, this, and, and I was reading Exodus, finding these words here, right? He goes into the cloud. He goes into the darkness. Um, Gregory's going to get into some of this explanation here of, of what, what does that mean for him to do that, right? So, so paragraph 157, page 93. The contemplation of God is not affected by sight and hearing nor is it comprehended by any of the customary perceptions of the mind. Okay, so usually we think of not seeing God as, of course, you can't be seen because your bodily eyes only see sensible right. things, right? Mm-hmm. But Gregory goes deeper here and he says, not even the customary perceptions of the mind, right? A little bit further in that paragraph, he says something that I, I was highlighting all over the place. Um, 
He well, let, let me read this this sentence, and then the next one is, is most important. He who would approach the knowledge of things sublime must first purify his manner of life from all sensual and irrational motion, emotion. He must wash from his understanding every opinion derived from some preconception, and withdraw himself from his customary intercourse with his own companion. Right? Or this is this is what was happening in Israel too. Right? Right. Um, uh, this abstinence from from the conjugal act. Uh, but that he calls that his sensible perceptions. But but going back up, this is really really interesting. Where he says he must wash from his understanding every opinion derived from some preconception. This is I think I mean this is Heidegger. Um, this is this is saying if you think you're going to think about God according to some preconception of what being is, or even what creaturely or what non or what creator is not comparing him to creatures. Right. Then you're going to have a preconception, and you're going to walk into the into the into the cloud, and you're going to expect to find something, yeah. and and you're going to look for that thing. And as you're looking for that thing, you're expecting to find. You're not going to see him, yeah, because you're nor, looking for a preconception. Nor will you see that what you're looking for. Well, of course not, because that doesn't exist. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you definitely won't find that. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you won't find is what's really there, mm-hmm. which is the divine who's beyond every preconception that we have of him. Maybe this is the source of modern atheism. That we're looking for... God under... Under preconceptions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's but, just like, but it's our fault, right? We're the ones who give, who give the world... We as Christians give the world preconceptions of what, we, of what God should be, right? Mm-hmm. That he's this powerful being, a being. Yeah. And even, even by entering into argumentation trying to prove that god exists uh-huh and 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 i mean even aquinas warns you gotta be really careful when you're arguing for god's existence because you're gonna make god look like a fool yeah yeah and and out of your out of your your you know sort of piety you you want to do this but you actually are perhaps doing more harm than Right. Being good. Right. Because because lots of times it's you are going to be basing your arguments on preconceptions. You're going to or they're going to assume you're basing your arguments on preconceptions. Yeah. And those preconceptions are going to be unsatisfactory. Right. Because that's not what God is. Right. So I think I, I you know I think this is it's it's really interesting that he says only the person who purifies himself from sense perceptions and preconceptions, only that person when he is so purified he says at the begin, bottom of that paragraph, then he assaults the mountain. I love how he says assaults the mountain too, um, and and so it, th- the next paragraph he says, you know, the knowledge of God is a mountain steep and deep, difficult to climb, and the majority of people scarcely reach its base. Which, if you think yeah. that sounds harsh, I mean, this yeah. reminds me of Jesus uh, in Matthew seven fourteen, where he says that you know the, the way the way of salvation is narrow and few find it. Yeah, not just few follow well, it, yeah, but yeah. few find yeah, it. Right? Yeah. And I've always thought that was really, really hard to hear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, so on that paragraph 157 you were reading, yeah, th- I, th- I think he's. This is an explicit um, uh, word usage. Uh, he must wash from his understanding every opinion derived from some preconception. Opinion is contrasted with with knowledge uh-huh. in in Plato, and opinions are those things which you need to through dialectic you need to purify yourself of because they're always not the form opinion is not what you're seeking so Mm -hmm. you you can have opinions of justice and this is what socrates is trying to purify 
all of his interlocutors of uh-huh. through his questioning. He's trying to purify them of their opinions, get rid of their opinions so that what's left is not a false image of the form. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. So, so, so probably he's got that in the back of his mind. When it's I mean, it's, I think it's just a very, that's just a very platonic understanding yeah. of epistemology and the way that it, it kind of plays in this purification of, of um, the, basically the purification of opinion for the sake of knowledge is, is like sort of the meat and potatoes of, of platonic epistemology. And, and, and it gets right back to the heart of receptivity too because it's this idea that opinion, an opinion is something that I push out into the world right. in order yeah. to conform it to myself whereas um, the reality or the form I can only actually receive. Yeah. Right? So I have to and purify myself of sort of my, my power grasp yeah. in and, order that I might receive. And I think what it, at least for Plato I think this is, this is also the case for um, Nyssa uh, especially, I think this is especially true of Nyssa, uh-huh. where Plato thinks that you have to become like something in order to know it. Uh-huh. So, so knowledge is always um, uh, it occurs by by way of of making yourself like the object, and this act of purification is an act of getting rid of these opinions, so that you're more and more and more similar to mm-hmm. the form itself rather than the the um the opinions the preconceptions the preconceptions mm-hmm. and, and i think what you have is this radical uh purification such that when you when you for in nissa when what, when you do that what's left is this this utter purity which is sort of a, has the the the, the guys you might say the the form of nothing, but that's because it's so non-idolatrous in some ways. It's so open, it's so receptive yeah. that it becomes an image of God. It's 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 like the the, the rusty mirror, right? Yeah, where you yeah, clean yeah. off the mirror because you're the divine image. Yeah, you clean off the mirror in order that the divine image might shine forth. But what are you then? You're you are the reflection of Him. Right? Yeah, that's what you are. Yeah, and then if you think that you're a reflection of, if you're a reflection of the word, the word itself is also in some ways a mirror of mm-hmm. of the father. Of the father. Yeah, 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 yeah. He who has seen me has seen the father. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I haven't thought of it that way, but I think that's true. Wow. So let's get into this. I think the most important page in all of our reading today was page ninety-five. Um, what's our time there, Jager? Fifty. Oh. We're okay. We yeah, got time. We got time. I mean, I mean, we've blown all the way to one, hour ten. <laughs> yeah. What, what are we talking? What's what's time to a turkey? <laughs> what's time to online asynchronous yeah. education? Right? Have, have you heard that phrase? What's time to turkey? No. Probably not, because I was Khaki's like great grandfather, <laughs> who used to take turkeys to market, and they'd said, "Hurry up! The turkeys are the turkeys are waiting." And he said, "What's time to a turkey?" <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> Very philosophical, yeah. especially uh, when they're on their way to slaughter. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's right, right. Well, let's. I, I think, I think for the rest of this time, I think we can just look at this section in depth from, yeah. from paragraph one sixty two yeah. to one sixty nine. Yeah. Okay, so so he starts off with this very interesting thing, which which I feel like we've talked about before in, in our conversation over yeah. these past years. Right? Uh-huh. Um, 
Let me just start reading here. I mean, it, this whole section is gold. It, it, I mean, we could just quote, read it, and then talk about. It. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. only a couple paragraphs. Yeah. Well, let's 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 start here with yeah. one sixty two. One sixty two. Yeah. What does it mean that Moses entered the darkness and then saw God in it? What is now recounted seems somehow to be contradictory to the first theophany. What's the first theophany? He's talking about the burning bush, I think. Right? Yeah, he, yeah. So he refers to. For then the divine was beheld in light, but now he is seen in darkness. Let us not consider that this is at variance with the sequence of things we have contemplated spiritually. Scripture teaches by this that religious knowledge comes at first to those who receive it as light. I mean, you just think about the conversion, right? And, and, and sort of the freak out post-conversion, yeah. right? I always think of my buddy James, who, who uh, God love him, was, was let's, let's say, not a very good Christian in college. <laughs> um, but he was a great friend of mine. We, 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 well, and maybe not, maybe not a true friend. Because <laughs> <Right. laughs> we had a, great, a lot of great fun together. He was a good buddy. He was a good buddy. Yeah, he was a good buddy. But, but he had this major conversion, and he told me he was entering the seminary in like two days after he had this major conversion. Oh, wow. um, now, he's not a priest today. Mm-hmm. He's married and has, mm-hmm. as far as I know, three kids. I haven't talked to him for a while. I need to get in touch with him. But that was James, that, if you're out there. James, <laughs> James if, if you're subscribed to the Creative Retrieval Podcast. If you're out there in the void. <laughs> look me up. Give me a call. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> James is a good guy. Yeah. Uh, so at first, those who receive it as light. Therefore, what is perceived to be contrary to religion is darkness. And the escape from darkness comes about when one participates in light, right? So, so you escape the darkness of sin by moving into the light of Christ. And, and it's, it's this glorious seeing. You can now see the world as it really is. Um, like, 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 you know, Emmett at the, at the end of the Lego movie. <laughs> he goes on. But as the mind progresses and through ever greater and more perfect diligence comes to apprehend reality, as it approaches more nearly to contemplation, it sees more clearly what of the divine nature is uncontemplated, right? And it's so, so there's something about you see the world for what it is, but then you recognize, yeah, it's, everything's actually more than that. And I can't see that, even though I can see now because of light. There's something about, and I love how he starts the next paragraph, leaving behind everything that is observed, leaving behind everything that is observed, not only what sense comprehends, but also what the intelligence thinks it sees, uh-huh. right? There's the preconceptions. It keeps on penetrating deeper until by the intelligence's yearning for understanding, it gains access to the invisible and the incomprehensible, and there it sees God, right? So this light that comes about at first and lets you see reality Ultimately, you have to come. If you if you keep going, you come to the realization, no, this is not really seeing reality. At least I see, in a sense, the darkness, the true darkness of sin, we might say. Right. Or maybe it's not the true darkness. Which is the true darkness? I don't know. But Which is darker? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's like that Angelus Cilicius, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Man, man and God are abysses. Which is the deeper, will you tell me? Yeah. Um, but... You know, you see the darkness, or you see the light, and then you recognize, no, that no, that light isn't really making me see the the true God. I have to even put aside what I see and penetrate deeper. Um, and this is where the great line, which I thought came from Pseudo Dionysius, and now I realize he stole from Nyssa. Um, this is the true knowledge of what is sought. 
this is the seeing that consists in not seeing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. the first time I saw that was in Pseudo Dionysius, yep. but now I see it here, a seeing that consists in not seeing. Because that which is sought transcends all knowledge, being separated on all sides by incomprehensibility as by a kind of darkness. And this is where the line of the luminous darkness comes in and no one has ever seen God, right? So this, I think this, um, there's a progression in knowledge that he's talking about. Just like there's yeah. a progression in purity uh, in, in order to even be able to receive knowledge, right? Yeah. Um, right. The person who, who becomes purified only after a while can now see the light of the divine presence. But only after further moving and further understanding and further purification does one begin to really apprehend reality and to see God as he really is by not seeing him, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? By the darkness that surrounds him, which I think is... I mean, I, I think this is exactly where this is. This is the story of my own life, right? um, where I move, where I had a conversion. I moved into light, and then I started really studying theology, and I really thought I was getting it and seeing things. And then after a while, darkness started to invade, yeah. and I started recognizing I can't say the things I said before. Right. And so you either, or, or I, my guess is this was. I mean, same story for me. It's the same story for I imagine for. All honest academics. Yeah, because because as as Gregory says, right? It doesn't matter that this was in Egypt yeah. or Chaldea. Yeah, it's about everyone. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And and I, I think initially what you want to do is you want to say. Uh, you want to avoid the darkness and cling to, the light that you once had. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 so you you. You try to like, even just ignore. Yep. Ignore what Cardinal Ratzinger is saying. Yeah. <laughs> right. Ignore what Balthazar is saying. Right. And right. then uh, I think after a while, the, the the honest intellectual will say, "I can't ignore it any longer. Yeah. I have to. I have to. I have to look at the darkness. I and, have to move into the 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 unknowing." And, the, and this, that's that's an asceticism because what happens is you have to say, "Everything I've done over the past ten years." I'm throwing out. <laughs> yeah. And in, in one sense, you're not throwing it out, right? Because it was the past 10 years that got you to be able yeah. to say, I can see. I need to throw it out. <laughs> I can see the darkness. Yeah. And the darkness isn't um, ignorance. It's a knowledge beyond right. knowing and ignorance, right? Right. It, it, you sort of move into this new way of understanding, which is, as he says, a non-understanding. It's an understanding. How do you understand the incomprehensible things? Yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a knowing ignorance, right? I mean, to use a phrase that maybe Gregory used, I don't remember, but definitely is within mm. his line, right? Yep. Of the watchful sleep, and the, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a knowing ignorance. Right? That's that's what's really happening here. So so let's keep going here. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is this is this is killer. So so when therefore Moses grew in knowledge, he declared that he had seen God in the darkness. That is that he had then come to know what is that what is divine is beyond all knowledge and comprehension for the text says Moses approached the dark cloud where God was what God <laughs> he who made darkness his hiding place as David says who also was initiated into the mysteries in the same inner sanctuary like okay so so you know I, I feel like if if, if uh, if Gregory wrote a sequel to the life of Moses, it might be the life of David, life right? Of David. And it would probably say the same stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. It would probably say the same. And we could probably look at the story of David 
and find a lot of parallels yeah. within this sort of understanding of his his role in Israel, his being the leader of Israel, the one who goes up the mountain, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But in a different sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there would be different um, accidental circumstances, mm-hmm. but it would be saying the same thing, right? Okay. Which, which fits right along with the prologue of Gregory's Life of Moses, which says it doesn't matter that we're talking about ancient yeah. Israel, right? Yeah, right. So I, I think there's there's something killer going on here about this. The next paragraph, though, he, he talks about this is where God forbids then. In in the old law, there's a forbidding of any raven images being made. Right? Here, here's the here, here it is. Moses grew in knowledge, and you get some you get some little. Where are you looking? This is on where you just read ninety five. Yeah. Uh, One sixty four. Moses grew in knowledge. He declared yeah, that God was seen in darkness. Uh, that is that the divine is beyond all knowledge. So he yeah. grew a knowledge that the divine is beyond all knowledge. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there it is, right? So it's 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 a, it's a knowing ignorance. Yeah, it's a knowing ignorance. But it's not just it's not just like I know my ignorance now. Yeah. But it's a there's something positive in the ignorance. Right. Yeah. The ignorance itself is positive. Right? Yeah. And, and and it's 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 hard to kind of uh, there's a it, there's a good end note where he talks about this too. It's it's interesting that that it's also uh, later later. People will talk about this as a, like an experiential knowledge. So clearly, everyone knows. I mean, this is at a much lower level, but everyone knows that that the knowledge of riding a bike is very different from what you have on a piece of paper or what you could put on a piece of paper. Right. So the knowledge of bike riding is not a descriptive type of knowledge, right? And I think. Something at a at a much deeper level. Knowledge of being itself is not a descriptive type of knowledge. Yeah, because it's it's an it's an active experience that that is is um, what constitutes the knowledge. It's not it's not doxastic it, it, so, in the sense. So in like, a sense, then it's incommunicable. Yeah. Right. So Moses can't come down and say, "Here's what I saw," but I wonder if it's incommunicable. Because God is incommunicable, right? So if 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 my knowledge or my contemplation of God is unable to, t- I'm unable to tell that to somebody else. It's because God's unable to tell Himself to somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Um, but paradoxically, does. Yeah. <laughs> and this yeah. is where we go beyond being, right? Yeah. Because He does in the Word, which Himself is the full, the full speaking of the Father. So it's, it's almost as if you could say he's not communicable because there's nothing prior to him by which he could be communicated. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of to, 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 to make sense of something, to explain something, you have to appeal to something more fundamental. Uh-huh. Rather, what God is, is pure communication. He's, he's perfect communication, which is why you can't look to anything else to explain or to communicate, make sense of, however you want to think of it, God. Um, so perfect communication then is incommunicable communication. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I totally understand. Yeah. That. I mean, whatever that means. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, can, we can keep going on, but yeah, but. no. Uh, so, so well, he kind of gets a little bit into virtue here, which which I think is very interesting. Oh, you 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 top of here. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you were gonna. I, I cut you off from yeah, talking no. about the idolatry. So the divine word. At, be- at the beginning, forbids that the divine be likened to any of the things known by men, since every concept which comes from some comprehensible image by an approximate understanding and by guessing at the divine nature constitute n- constitutes an idol of God and does not proclaim God. Right? 
And, and I think, in a sense, this is what you're saying, right? You can't, you can't communicate God by comprehensible images. Yeah. Um, but, but the interesting thing is that he calls them idols. Now, I, but, but remember what Gregory said, we have to purify ourselves of, right? Not only are we purified by what we see and hear, but by any of the customary perceptions of the mind, by every opinion derived from some preconception. So mm-hmm. even those are idols, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and I feel like this is what I've been trying to teach in my classes for the past year and a half, yeah. is that when you come to God with a preconception of what God is, you are not talking about God. Yeah, I wrote in the margin, conceptual idolatry. Yeah, uh, and, and I think this is what... Um, we were talking about this in Delubach, but I thought it was in his in his connection with understanding Nietzsche. Um, mm. And maybe, uh, I, I don't know if you know, does Nietzsche kind of talk about this sort of thing as well? Um, the Not to put you on the hot seat here. I mean, in regards <laughs> to, like to, to... To sort of um, theistic, theists' explanations or understandings of gods as being not, as being idols. I mean, maybe that's Heidegger, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it, I think in some ways it's Heidegger. I mean, the the way that I mean Nietzsche thinks that that's in some ways what God. That's that's the way Christians have conceived of uh-huh. God. And I think he's right. Yeah. Overall. And right. and and therefore, and we've given up on that idol, uh, and therefore God's dead. That idol, the thing that we thought we understood that made sense of our lives, we no longer appeal to because now we appeal to something we appeal to a new idol science right uh, which I mean he does think it's it's science is still a type of God because uh-huh. they still worship truth itself um, but it's soon at some point in the future he thinks they'll give up on truth itself and so that scientists will die in the sense of objective science and yep and um, so I, but I, I do think he, he's he's trying to I mean one of his last books the twilight of the idols. Idols, yeah, right? yeah. So, so I think I think he 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 thinks that that's just what religion is. is right. It's a idol worship. Well, and and I and I wonder if 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 Gregory is because there's nothing else. Yeah, Gregory is besides that last point. I wonder if <laughs> Gregory's worth agreeing with him, mm. right? Um, that so many people yeah. worship idols, which which is which I I wonder if we can attach. This understanding of the virtuous philosopher, in in the Gregorian sense, who goes, who purifies himself of sight, hearing, and preconceptions, is the one who really lives the Christian mode of life. That that others who have preconceptions, that others yeah. who think they know God in a particular way, are undeserving of of the word Christian. They're the monkey. Yeah, yeah. they're the monkey yeah. going after the sweetmeats. Yeah. Right? And, and, and maybe in, in another sense, like our, our, our world today is, is a demasking of that. And, 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 yeah. and although we look out at the, at, at the vast number of atheists in, in the modern West and we think we're in dire straits, I wonder if it's just more honest yeah. to say everything it, else was sweetmeats before. <laughs> I mean, you, and, and yeah. we were all monkeys. Because, because Eunomius wore the mask of Christianity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Arius wore the mask of Christianity. Right. Uh, and I think what what you have now is the the modern day Joel Olstein. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, kind of, right? Yeah, yeah. But I was going to say That's there are extreme examples. Yeah, I was going to say there so aren't. Yeah, so <laughs> there aren't as many mask wearers because they 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 don't they're not trying to to they're not trying to be um, Christian, right? right? Because because right. they they've, they've they've given up on that idol. Yeah, because in a sense, the culture has it, it's no longer advantageous to be Christian. Yeah, I mean, even back when we were kids, uh, maybe when I was a kid, yeah. <laughs> keep forgetting how young you are. Uh, when I was, it was, a kid, I was, it was in the it was in the eighties. Yeah, but, but even you know, even even back when when, when both of us were kids, right? I, the, I mean, the American, just as an example, I'm not saying that this yeah. is the end all be all. The American politicians would appeal yeah. to their own yeah. Christianity yeah. Yeah. and to their own belief in God, yeah. and and and. In my own lifetime, I've seen that waning more and yeah. more and more and more, yeah. you know, to where uh, – what was the great line of John Kerry when they asked him what his favorite oh, – yeah. um, I forget what this was, right? What was it, what's your favorite passage from, from, the, from the Gospels? And he started talking about Job or something yeah. or Jonah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, I mean that yeah. was like when, 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 we, when, when Christianity in politics started to jump the shark. Yeah. Now it's just basically unreferenced. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it, and it's and it's not seen as being necessary to be referenced. Um, and I'm not saying we should lament this. I, in some sense, we should. In, in another sense, uh, if uh, let's call a monkey a monkey, yeah. right? And yeah. and not call him a Christian. Right. Um, and most people are okay with that now. Mm-hmm. And so instead of having fake Christians now, you just have non-Christians. Yeah. Right. Which which is, is in a sense more honest. And hopefully, and 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 this is maybe where Ratzinger is going when he talks about the church being a smaller. But more vigorous right. reality. Mm-hmm. Maybe what he what he means is that those who claim Christianity are the ones who are actually undertaking the mode of Christian life. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. we're oh, probably man. out of time oh. here. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Unless you had any last points we didn't oh. get to, because I've been kind of running um, the show here. No, here. no, it's, it's your show to run, though. Yeah, it is my show to run, but. Um. But nonetheless, you know, uh, there's the really important war with Amalek, right? Yeah, uh, if if yeah. you want to learn more about that, read read Teresa uh, or Teresa Blasseau's letter to um, Father Roland mm-hmm. about uh, about her being Moses on the mountain and him being Joshua on the ground fighting yeah. the Amalek. It's beautiful, nice. yeah. beautifully done. Um, but he has other understandings here too, right? Um, but uh, and of course, the man is really important as well, um, especially sort of this this idea of preparing for the Sabbath. Um, but um, there's there's a lot more here, but you know yeah. we're probably out of That's time. Probably good. But 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 the key was the darkness, right? I mean I mean this is again this is one of the main reasons why this class is happening is I want to I want to really dive into this stuff. Um, hopefully you guys yeah. do too. And at this point and, yeah. s- and seeing the importance right. of, of diving and, into and the darkness. So the, so I th- final my final this is Jager's final thoughts. <laughs> um, <laughs> That, that if this is if what what Nissa says about God being known in this type of way and therefore not being known in in other types of ways more standard types of ways mm-hmm. that's going to require a new epistemology for um, for God in a, in a sense a, a new epistemology for maybe a lot of us and so you shouldn't think about Okay, I want I want my my um, my brother or my sister or my friend or my boyfriend or my cousin to to come to believe in God. So what I need to do is I need to you know read a bunch of books on how to make your right. brother, girlfriend, right. uncle, what have you, believe in God. 
uh, because it's like it's like when we were talking about how to, how to go on a date. Yeah, because I think that was this podcast it, with the other one. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but I think if you're doing that, you're 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 presupposing. You're basically saying, okay, how can I get someone to believe an idol? Yeah, uh, and that's a great danger. Right. right. This is this is why I think you have to be really, really, really careful about how to prove, quote unquote, prove God to someone. Right. Uh, because you might actually do more harm than, than good. I yeah. think the best way is to um, show show the existence of God in your life. Manifested in your being. Yeah. 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 Because because if you read the book, How to Make My Friend Believe in God. You didn't notice the subtitle. You know me is you know me in isn't one oh one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, on that note. On that note, we need to make sure we stick with that old time religion. <laughs>